The opinions expressed on The Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications. Welcome to your Thursday afternoon, although for me it's kind of a Friday afternoon because I'm not working tomorrow. Short timer. Took the day off. Slacker. I don't even know what I'm going to do with my day off yet. <laughs> I think I'm going to be going camping this weekend, but it seems like we got a lot of like rain and thunderstorms and stuff rolling through the region. I don't know. And it's only today and tomorrow, unless the forecast is different from mine. It looks like well, it's yeah. going to be a fairly nice weekend, Saturday and Sunday. A little cool on yeah. Saturday, but. Yeah. Well, I could deal with a little cool. I just don't want to get hailed on. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Coming up on the show, we got Secretary of State candidate Will Gardner. We had his opponent, Democratic uh, candidate uh, Josh Boucher, on earlier this week. So equal time. That's what we do here on the Rob Report. Uh, or we try to do some of the politicians. Well, one in particular doesn't want to come on. But um, Senator Heitkamp doesn't want to come on. We try to give her equal time, but she doesn't want to come on. Will Gardner's going to be on, though. We're going to talk about his campaign. He's at a, a, fundraise, a bit of a fundraising disadvantage. Josh Boucher put up a lot of money. Could is Josh Boucher, you know, the, the Democrat who could end um, the drought his party has had in terms of electing people to statewide office in North Dakota, at least, you know, state level, statewide office. Uh, anyway, we'll talk with Will about his campaign. Also at one thirty, Mike Fordorchek, he is the state director of Americans for Prosperity. Um, a lot of people talking about the Trump tax cuts, a lot of people claiming that's the big argument, right, that we hear from. North Dakota Democrats, Heidi Heitkamp voted against the Trump tax cuts. So the big argument when when they're it's pointed out that the Trump tax cuts have been pretty good for North Dakotans. As a matter of fact, according to one study, study North Dakotans benefiting more from the tax cuts than the citizens of any other state in the nation on a per capita basis. Their argument is, well, it adds to the national debt. So we'll talk with Mike a little bit about that coming up at 1.30, plus your phone calls, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, all right. Let's, uh, I tell you what, let, let's start with this. Let's start with Donald Trump. And you're seeing it reported in a lot of places that President Trump referred to immigrants or, or even specifically illegal immigrants as animals, that he called them animals. As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote you some. This is from the New York Times. Trump lashed out at undocumented immigrants during a White House meeting, calling those trying to breach the country's borders, quote, animals. This is from the Huffington Post. Uh, Trump refers to immigrants as animals again. Uh, from Vox, a left-wing uh, news website, Trump on deported immigrants. They're not people. They're animals. Even the Washington Post got in on it. Trump compares illegal immigrants to animals. So what happened was, is President Trump, he was at a uh, round tra- a round table uh, event uh, discussing sanctuary cities, uh, and he took a qu- he took a question um, from uh, Fresno County Sheriff Margaret Mims. Now, Trump's answer is is where everybody's getting the he called immigrants or he called illegal immigrants animals thing. Which, if he actually did that, I agree that would be a terrible thing. I don't want to I don't want li- to don't wanna be in a, a position where we have. Uh, the you know our national leaders suggesting that that a group of people uh, are not actually people. I think that's a dangerous place to go. But let's listen to what the president actually said. We have the audio. Uh, Eric, we're ready with that. 
Yes, let's, we are. Yeah, let's roll it. This is this is uh, Fresno County Sheriff Margaret Mims. I know about. If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about them. We have people coming into the country or trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. And we're taking them out of the country at a level and at a rate that's never happened before. And because of the weak laws, they come in fast. We get them. We release them. We get them again. We bring them out. It's crazy. The dumbest laws, as I said before, the dumbest laws on immigration in the world. So we're going to take care of it, Margaret. We'll get it done. All right, so what she asked, and I was kind of flapping my gums right at the beginning there. We, I cut her off a little bit. But the sheriff, Sheriff Mims of Fresno County, she's asking specifically about MS-13, which is a, a, a gang, um, a very violent gang, based uh, that, that includes a lot of, of illegal immigrants. So she she's referring, she goes, thank you. There could be an MS-13 member that I know about. If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about it. Uh, and Trump then goes on and he makes, he goes, these aren't people, these are animals. Now, is he talking to all illegal immigrants or is he talking about MS-13 specifically? That's my question for you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I mean, let's let's talk about who the MS-13, and, and I'm uncomfortable again. I'm not entirely comfortable with, with a political leader referring to any group of people as animals, right? I, I think that's a dangerous road to walk. I mean, you're even criminals have rights. Even criminals have constitutional rights, right? They have the right to due process. They have a right to an attorney. They have a right to a jury trial. I mean, they, they, they have a right to a lot of things. They're not animals. But I understand rhetorically what he's talking about. I mean, let's, let's talk about who MS-13 is for a moment. Their motto literally is kill, rape, control. They're heavily involved in sex trafficking. They force underage girls into prostitution. They don't merely kill those who cross them. They do so in particularly gruesome ways, such as stabbing a teenager 153 times in a public park. That was one incident that they were responsible for. They leave bodies of their victims near elementary schools. Advancement in the gang requires murdering of members of rival gangs. Some are literally Satanists, just tr- justifying their murders with the claim that the devil wanted a soul. I'm, I'm pulling a lot of that information from Jim Garrity at National Review. These are not necessarily good people. I mean, these are pretty gross people. Now, should the president be calling them animals? I, I don't know. But I, I, I think a hard time, I, I think a lot of people aren't going to be very sympathetic with the president of the United States. You know, if he wants to call violent gang members, right, a, a gang that has li- rape literally in their motto, that has murder and mayhem as their mission, if he wants to call them animals, I, I mean, are, are we really gonna are we really gonna get into a national debate about that? Is that really the point? And, and this is the problem because again, let's go back to some of these headlines. President Trump's asked specifically. About MS-13, Fresno County Sheriff asks him, "If I have a, if I have an MS-13 member I know about, um, if I don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about it." And this is in the context of talking about sanctuary city policies, right? I think her argument is, "Well, for a sanctuary city, and all of a sudden I've got a violent gang member who's an illegal immigrant, uh, I can't tell 
federal authorities about it to get that person out of the country. President Trump says, these aren't people, these are animals. Okay, he's referring to the gang. I mean, that's, and again, some of this is the president's fault because he's, he's not a very precise speaker, right? And he's, he's prone to hyperbole. And so he creates situations like this where his words can be confused. But I'm reading this, and I don't see a situation where, and, and again, we're seeing these national headlines. This is from the New York Times. Trump's lashed out at undocumented immigrants during a White House meeting, calling those trying to breach the country's borders animals. Huffington Post, Trump refers to immigrants as animals again. Vox, Trump on deported immigrants. They're not people, they're animals. Washington Post, Trump compares illegal immigrants to animals. Could we not put the con- Could we not put the president's words in context? That he was talking about a violent gang, some of whom are illegal immigrants? I mean, th- this is the problem, right? I it, we have I think I think some in the press have conflated being anti-Trump, taking a position that is against Trump, as somehow fulfilling their responsibility of of be of, of being a, you know a, aggressive purveyors of the truth. And I think what that results in is just this 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 knee-jerk response, this, this knee-jerk willingness to characterize anything a president that they hate does as being evil. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. I see a problem in this. I mean, you want to talk about why trust in the press is going down? This is part of the reason. This is not adversarial journalism, right? Taking somebody's comments out of, and even even admittedly clumsy comments, even admittedly hyperbolic comments, taking them out of context and reporting them as though the president clearly said something he clearly did not, that's a problem. You are not, you are not telling the truth, right? What's, what's the Washington, the Washington Post motto in the Trump age is democracy dies in the darkness. This is not shining a light. You're not shining a light on anything by doing this. You are misleading people. And, and the problem is I, I think the, the press, the media has become so lopsided in their politics that a lot of times I don't think that they can see this. I, I don't think that they can perceive this problem in themselves because they look around their newsroom. Most everybody in the newsroom has this position, and those who don't are probably afraid to speak out. And so we get reporting like this from national news outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Caller, Ken, you're on. What's up? If there's a runaway car on the sidewalk, Rob, and you push a, a, an old lady out of the way to save her life, if the headline is Rob Port shoves old lady to the ground, that's not journalism. This yeah. is how you get more Trump. It's, it's, it's quite obvious for a lot of people what's going on, and all it does is, I mean, I, I've never really bought into fake news because I've just been around for a long time and understood where the media shines their spotlight is, is, is they've been doing this for a long time. It's just... Uh, they've, they, they've narrowed their, their actual, narrow their focus on the, on the beam of light, and uh, they're not giving you, as, as you explained, the context, which is their job. Yeah. You know, you, you're right. You're absolutely right. And listen, I mean, we can, there is room here to have a nuanced debate about sanctuary city policy. I mean, that's what we're trying yeah. to have. 
right? I mean, that's that, that's what the president was holding a roundtable. He's got a local official, a local sheriff, Fresno County Sheriff, who's asking him a question, and that's a pertinent question. She's saying, okay, if I live in a sanctuary city, or if, if I'm if I'm you know arresting somebody, uh, an MS-13 gang member in a sanctuary city or a sanctuary county. And all of a sudden, uh, that person I, I find out is an illegal immigrant and they're a violent gang member. I now can't contact federal authorities to have that person removed because we're a sanctuary county or sanctuary community. Well, that's, that's which, which a valid. Is a, which is a policy debate that ought to right. be had. But yet what's going to get in the way of it is Trump called somebody an animal. So that's all they'll talk about. Yeah. And the people I and I again, we played the audio. You can find the transcript online. The White House has a transcript of the entire thing. Um, and I, 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 it's clear. She asked about MS-13. I, I read it. And, again, the president is not very precise in his words. And so he creates opportunities, I think, for the, the press corps, which, which hates him. Uh, but, but, but the president being imprecise, the president being hyperbolic, those are his problems. They don't excuse the press taking his words out of context and misrepresenting them, which I think is absolutely what they did. In this instance. And Drives now you'll have a meme out there on, on, on the web of people who have no idea what the story was, but now all that's in there, the little nugget that's in their brain is Trump calls people animals. Yeah. And then here's, here's the thing, though, is when President Trump actually deserves criticism for something he does, yes. because believe you yes. me, he <laughs> does deserve it sometimes, um, the, the criticism from the press and, and their efforts to, to shine a light on the things that he's doing – uh, are going to be viewed with with more skepticism maybe than they should because they do also do stuff like this. Because it's boy who cried wolf. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Ken. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. I just wanted to get that thing. That, that was bugging me. And, and listen, this is the first time President Trump's referred to gang members as animals before. Now, is that hyperbolic? Is that over the line? Okay, sure. And I guess we can have a discussion about that. What you cannot do, though, is when he's asked about gang members and he responds calling them animals, and then you portray it as him referring to all immigrants or all illegal immigrants as animals, uh, that's inaccurate. And I, I, I see that the Associated Press just deleted some tweets about this. They tweeted about this some last night. They've now deleted it saying, you know, we didn't make it clear that he was responding to a question about gang members. See, that's fair. Okay, they're going to correct it. They're going to get it right now. Yeah, but what happened to the journalism where you actually fact check before you stick your big nose out on the yeah. internet? I mean, yeah. what happened to those days? I don't know. Why? Well, especially because I mean, if you're in the room, right? I'm assuming I'm assuming the reporters who who initially broke the story were in the room or were watching the live stream or something like that. They had to have heard the whole exchange, right? But I what mean, makes, it, what makes better clickbait? What what headline? Yeah. That's what it's all about now. Trump, Trump called immigrants animals. That's you know that's what everybody wants to click on. They forgot the MS thirteen part. But. Right. And and again, I am not against aggressive critical coverage of Donald Trump. I have been aggressively critical of him in the past. I didn't vote for the guy. I'm not some Trump defender. But the thing is, is, is we we obscure the valid criticisms of the president when we do crap like this. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Here's a crazy story. Let's let's shift gears completely because it's my Friday and I want to have a little fun today. Also, later in the program, 
We're going to talk about whether or not we should have robot umpires. What do you think about that, Eric? Uh, I've, I can't remember. Somebody was having that debate the other day, and we're, we're talking about like no. uh, computers that would call balls and strikes. We're going to talk about it. But for now, here's, uh, here's a story. It's about a 24-year-old, or excuse me, 25-year-old man who posed as a high school student so that he could relive his basketball glory days. 25-year-old man posed as a student in a high school so he could play on the basketball team. Okay. And he dominated the basketball team. Well, I think I was gold figure. The guy scored, shaved in and has... He scored, <laughs> he's, he scored like 35, 40 <laughs> points a game, 15 rebounds, right? I mean, this guy's dominating. And he had played college somewhere, not like, I don't think like Division One, but it, he played college at some, and I guess when he was done with that, he posed as a hurricane refugee. He posed as a refugee from Hurricane Harvey um, and went to a... Uh, and went to a a Dallas school in um, in Texas. It posed as a student, uh, and it, it appears uh, he's been arrested and he's out on bail now. Uh, but he appears like he went to the high school for nine months. It appears his motivation was so he could play on the basketball team. You have got to be kidding me! So I'm assuming, I go, I, and I hate to be this way, but I'm assuming this is a foreign person as well, because it'd be hard to. I mean, if you were an American or from here be much easier to track those school records in fact you should have to have your school records before you start stepping your foot through a door well part of the part of the chart it's not clear from the article that i'm reading um he again he claimed to be a refugee so maybe that's part of what a hurricane refugee so maybe he's saying you know the transcript can't be provided because stuff was destroyed in the hurricane could be but it could be from a caribbean island or he could be from a he also he also he also claimed that he was homeless he claimed that he was homeless Mm-hmm. And he came because of Hurricane Harvey, and but oh. he was playing college ball here in the U.S. before. <laughs> oh yeah, he had a, he had a, he had a oh. collegiate basketball career at Dallas Christian College. So he basically played in the same town. I guess. No, somebody. Oh, wait, was... well, hold on. Okay. Hillcrest. Where's Hillcrest? Maybe Hillcrest is in Texas too. Texas is a big place. Right. But I'm just saying, boy, I would be shocked if, you know, because you have newspaper writers, like if it were in Dallas, you had sports writers, they're going to be covering the high school teams, especially well, the good thing ones. Is, is he was he was really good. And like his coaches are naming him for like all state team and stuff like that. I mean, right. He was really good. Do you not think you were at some point going to start attracting? I mean, you scored 40 points a game in high school. Right. Maybe you're going to attract some attention from scouts. Back in the media? Well, yeah, no, I'm sure he was a man among boys. I, I can't believe nobody would figure that out. Yeah, he's got another problem, too, because guess what else he did at high school? Oh, no. He did He a got girl. a girlfriend. He got a girlfriend. Oh, boy. Yeah. 14-year-old girl. Yeah, oh, he was pretending boy. to be 17, was dating a 14-year-old. He's actually 25. So now he's not only, uh, yeah, he's going to be a sex offender, basically, is what you're telling me. Well, if he if he gets convicted. If he gets convicted. He must stay, stay in court. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just can't. The audacity. Of this. Wow. Um, here, I'm reading from the article. This is from uh, DallasNews.com. The article, the mother of a Hillcrest High freshman said that her daughter started dating Gilstrap Portly. Uh, let's see. What's his full name? Sydney Bouvier Gilstrap Portly. Um, that, that he started dating in January. Uh, the woman who spoke on condition of an- anonymity said her 14-year-old knew the man as Rashawn Richardson and thought he was 17. It's unbelievable to me that he could get away with this, she said. I don't know what, how the school let this slip through the cracks. The woman said she had never approved of her daughter's relationship and wasn't comfortable with her dating a 17-year-old freshman. 
Well, I wonder how she felt. <laughs> he's, oh. he's actually a 25 year old college grad. Uh, she had her daughter. She said her daughter told her she did not have a sexual relationship with Gilster Portly. Well, that at least something good out of the whole thing. I, that's why I'm just I'm just wondering if this isn't somebody from one of the islands or something down there because baseball has struggled with this. In fact, Miguel Sano, the big power hitter of the yeah. Twins, was accused years ago of being older than he claimed to be. So, or I, I remember I remember when Orlando Hernandez for the Yankees, El Duque, came mm-hmm. over from Cuba. Nobody knew how old he was really. I mean, it was a, there was a big thing about that, um, where he was actually older than, and you know, it's tough getting the records. Uh, he began the school year at Skyline High School, where he enrolled, claiming to be a, a Hurricane Harvey refugee. Months later, he moved to Hillcrest High School and joined the basketball team. So he kind of jumped from school to school, probably further obscuring his transcript. Unbelievable. And what are you what are you doing all day? Like, you're 25 and you're just going to high school all day? How are you eating? Where are you? <laughs> Unbelievable. More to come straight ahead here on the Rob Report. 701-293-9000, Email talk. At WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDY, AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Hey, remember during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, right? I guess they actually voted on it as the protests were, uh, were winding down. But in February of 2017, the Seattle City Council voted to stop doing business with Wells Fargo Bank. They're going to choose another bank. They didn't want to have anything to do with Wells Fargo Bank anymore um, because the bank was one of the financiers of the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. The Seattle City Council voted nine to nothing at the time uh, to move away from Wells Fargo. Uh, well, announcement yesterday, <laughs> Eric, they just renewed a contract with Wells Fargo. Hmm. Okay. Turns out they couldn't find another bank to take their business. Uh, and part of that might be, I mean, think about it, though. I mean, if you're another bank, do you want that headache? I mean, granted, it's a lot. I mean, I, I think, I mean, the, the Seattle city budget's like a like multiple billions of dollars. Um, the, the revenues that they run through, uh, they're banking. And so I guess it's a lot of business. But if you're a big bank, are you going to want to bid on that when you've got an activist city council that's going to potentially attack you? Uh, for financing legal infrastructure projects. Yeah, to be honest, unless my bank is making a ton of money or there's some legal reason why I can't just blatantly turn down business, I think I would have preferred to let them do their business elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, you know what would have been even funny, though, is after they go around, they can't find anybody else. And, and they tried. I mean, they tried to take it. They even tried to, like, split up the city's banking into like different sectors i guess like like public works maybe in in different different sectors of city government they even tried to split it up like that and find a bank to take it uh couldn't find any takers i think it would have been funny if they went back to wells fargo and wells fargo said no that's all right yeah we're done we're good no thanks <laughs> we're, we're good uh anyway i thought that was pretty funny hey earlier in the program we were talking about donald trump and the comments about um, the, the the press coming out and reporting that Donald Trump called immigrants animals, right? Um, and he didn't. He was asked a question about the MS-13 gang. Uh, he then made his animals comment in reference to that, uh, calling gang members animals. Now, you know, maybe you could make the argument that even awful people are still human beings. Nazis were still human beings. And even people who do terrible, awful things still have... Uh, a certain amount, you know, amount of rights and, and, and should be treated a certain way. You could make that argument, and that's a fair argument, but it's salacious 
it is um, scurrilous to report that the president called all illegal immigrants or all immigrants animals. He didn't. Um, so here's here's the other thing, and here's because we have this constant negativity about Donald Trump. That's nothing new. I'm not telling you anything new. It's a constant drumbeat of negative stories about Stormy Daniels and uh, the Mueller investigation in Russia and everything else. And it goes on and on and on, day after day after day. As a matter of fact, I don't even talk much about Donald Trump on this program or on my blog because it's just not that interesting. I mean, it's the same stuff every day. I, I don't I don't even really know. I mean, people are fascinated about it because Trump is this hugely polarizing figure. Uh, I'm not. And I don't write about it. But I do think what is interesting, because, again, it's this constant media drumbeat. But I, I'm beginning to think that Donald Trump could probably get reelected. And here's why. This is from a Gallup poll. 37% of Americans are satisfied with the way things are going in the country today, up from 29% in April. Gallup has not measured a higher level of satisfaction since a 39% reading in late September 2005. During the George W. Bush administration, although 37% were also satisfied right before the November 2016 election. So, um, you know, basically that's, that's uh, you know, the Obama, right at the end of the Obama era. But uh, 30, 36% were satisfied in February 2018 after the uh, State of the Union address. So, I mean, we're at a really high level. And, and the thing about it is, this isn't just the Gallup poll. Just days ago, CNN reported, CNN uh, again, not exactly a friend to the Trump administration. Not, not that any journalistic outfit should be a friend uh, to a president, but CNN certainly <laughs> very critical of the president. Um, they ran a poll, and in that case, 57% answered yes when asked if they thought things were going well in the United States, the highest share since 2007. So we're seeing some some high levels now. I think a lot of it's just the economy. I mean, you've got an unemployment rate that's under 4%. you got tax cuts coming out that have made people's paychecks bigger, that have made business easier to do in the United States. You've had a lot of deregulation. The, the, the economy right now is humming. And, you know, what, what, was, what was that famous line during the, the Clinton administration from James Carville, right? It's the economy, stupid. <laughs> well? Let me ask you a side question. I, and all right. I'm trying to think in my brain... Uh, who would, on the Republican side, who do you think would run that would actually give Donald Trump a race? And the only one that I can, the first name that comes to the top of my head would be Paul Ryan. But I'm kind of wondering if he's getting out of politics or what he is exactly doing by stepping down as the Speaker of the House in the fall. I don't, I mean, I, I, I think there is, there's obviously because there's enough, there's enough dissension, I think, um, on the right. That I, th- I think Trump is going to get a primary. Ch- I mean, normally he would be the incumbent, and you wouldn't expect there to right. be really but any serious. Is it going to be? Is it going to be quote unquote little Marco? Is it going to be Ted Cruz? Who is it going to um, be? I think I think John Kasich is probably the Ohio governor who obviously ran. He ran in 2016. Um, I bet honest, you Kasich. I, I, I bet you someone like him. a Kasich run. And yeah. actually, he'd be out of my thought process right now. He'd be the best of the field of what 18 that we saw last or a couple yeah. of years ago now. But there is no strong candidate is what I'm getting at. And I'm, yeah. I'm trying to even think on the Democratic side, who is going to be, besides Joe Biden, who's going to be that strong candidate? And believe yeah. me, the Democratic Party has got a highlight reel of Trump comments that they're going to be parading out. Yeah, the, pro- the problem is if it's Joe Biden, so does Joe Biden. Yes. Have you ever looked through some of the oh, stuff he yes. says? But yeah. 
can you imagine the ads that we're going to be seeing in a couple of years? Yeah. So, but but here, here's the thing. So the big thing about Trump leading up to 2016 was a lot of people were scared because they thought, I mean, we were kind of jumping off a cliff by electing him, right? I mean, that's I think that's how a lot of people felt. Like, this is this guy's never held public office before. He says these wild, crazy things. We've had all these these salacious, you know, revel- and obviously we've had even more now. But during the during the campaign, we certainly got a pretty pretty clear image about who Trump was. Uh, and so I I think the thing was is well, what's he going to do when he's president? I think a lot of people were afraid about that. How is he actually going to govern? And I think what we're finding out is, I mean, yes, there's a lot of turbulence, and yes, there's a lot of turnover and everything else, but the economy's humming. He has proved actually more competent maybe than a lot of people even now want to give him credit for on national stuff. I mean, you have the North Korea thing. Some things, right, some for, things for have gotten done. Pretty good, yeah. right? He's gotten some things done. And, I, you know, I, I wonder if, if there's going to be – I mean, you already had, you know, obviously Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but you had a little less than half of the country saying um, that they were – in the popular vote saying that they were okay with Trump. Well, now Trump's in. Uh, he's, he's been governing. Uh, some good things have happened. I, I I don't I don't wonder if he I don't wonder if that doesn't just if the economy continues to hum, I don't know if Republicans don't outperform expectations coming into the midterms, and I don't know if Trump doesn't get reelected in in 2020. What about the lack of the repeal of Obamacare, which was key issue number one for the Republicans yeah. in their platform a couple of years ago? And I I to be honest with you, I'm not even sure what they did get done. I know they didn't get the repeal to the level that they wanted. I know they yeah, got a Trump few small Trump things. did some stuff through executive order. We got rid of the individual mandate, but it's not um, what they promised. You know? It's not. No, you're right. You're right. Um, uh, but I wonder. See, but but the thing about that, that I think is a problem for congressional Republicans, because Trump remembers in the executive branch, it never made it to his desk. Right. So if if you know, so, so does Trump get blamed for that? Who who gets the blame for that? Do Republicans get the blame for that? And, and even Republicans could argue, well, there's the thing called the filibuster, which is actually how it died. you got to have 60-plus votes. They don't have a filibuster-proof majority. So I, I don't know I don't know how much blame they can get for that. I just, although although, I, no, although now, now I'm remembering when they were doing the health care plan, they were doing it through reconciliation. So right. they, they didn't, that wasn't the filibuster. It, it is amazing to me, though, that I have not heard anything about that topic now for months. And that was such well, a we, huge well. We issue. just had well. They were just debate. They were just protesters outside of Congressman Kramer's offices about his vote. That might for have the, been, uh, but it was not anything for, that, for the repeal bill. I mean, I sit and watch a lot of news during the day, and it's not something yeah. that I've seen anywhere on the the big radar. Let's put it. There's that been way. there's been a little bit about it. I don't think you know when we had Max Schneider on this program. I asked him if he would have voted to pass Obamacare had he been in office uh, back in 2010. He was actually working for a guy who did. I think at the time, Earl Pomeroy, former Congressman Earl Pomeroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't say. Whether he voted, so I think it's still I think it's still an issue with some potency, um, but at this point, I think it's been so beaten to death. And, and there's other issues that are, are are clouding it out. I mean, illegal immigration. Obviously, Donald Trump tapped into a lot of angst over that issue. Um, I, I think I think trade is something a lot of people. I, I think a lot of those sorts of issues, the economy in general, just getting people back to work. You know, particularly because what we saw under the Obama administration, I think in a lot of ways. How have people described it? A jobless recovery, right? Where we had sort of a recovery on paper, but maybe not in reality. I think what we're starting to see is an actual recovery. And uh, rightly or wrongly, I think Republicans are going to reap some of the benefit from that. And it may it may allow them to buck historical trends and actually do well 
in the midterms, and it may mean that, that Donald Trump can get reelected. As unbelievable as that has seemed at times, I think it's a real possibility. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I just saw this picture on Reddit, Eric, and uh, the headline on it was, uh, Laurel's is my favorite place to eat. That's a picture of a restaurant called Yanny's. <laughs> I cannot believe that that thing took off the way that it did. And It's like that dress thing, too. Yes. Remember, remember that dress? Like, like, what color is this dress? Right. Well, we did find out it was a student doing some research for a project. It sounds like a high school student. I believe it was Laurel. She had searched it online, but I think she got a... She searched like a digital pronunciation or something along along those lines, and that's how it started out. So yeah, then it just went crazy after that. And everywhere I went, including my son's baseball game last night, the debate started on the sideline. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I want to get away from this. It, it was on the morning show. It was on the midday show. Rob tried to bring it up. I put the big no. Yeah, yeah, up. that's yeah. That's by the way, first time anything. I mean, people people have talked. There has been debate in recent weeks. About my topic selection, yes, and about the forum, the big conspiracy theory about the forum hired me to attack Heidi Heitz, which is a ridiculous nonsense perpetrated by Heidi Heitkamp supporters who like their critics to shut up. Um, but uh, I can tell you, this is the first time in working for Forum Communications that I've ever had a topic nixed by somebody. <laughs> I didn't say that you couldn't do it. I Eric vetoed. <laughs> Eric vetoed it. I just said only because. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I should make this admission. I don't listen to a lot of talk radio in the morning, not because right. uh, the Mike McFeely program is not worth listening to or that Mike Cappell's not worth listening to. Uh, and that's just what I do most of my writing. Right. And so I'm not I'm, I'm writing in the mornings and I'm not spending a lot of time listening to things. And right. I, it I was, wasn't aware it was of how talked about quite a bit and the, the audio was played, I swear, like 73 times already on our radio station. Yeah. And you sent me an I, 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 I said, I said, Eric, let's have this audio. This will be fun. And yeah. Eric's like, no. Yeah. And I went for lunch and even no. the FM stations were doing the debate. I'm like, oh, <laughs> please. So it was an interesting topic. And I think we finally got it solved to a degree. What Although, do you think about robot robot umpires? Uh that's I mean, because we have the stat cat. I mean, that's the, the big thing in baseball now is we have the stat we have like the we could tell like like how almost immediately how far a player ran and how fast they ran to field a ball uh or exit velocity. We have all these other things. I imagine we're not far removed from the technology. And the reason why I'm talking about there's a Federalist article. It's why baseball needs to switch to robot umps as soon as they're effective. Um so basically talking about since we can already track everything that happens on the field in a 3D sort of way, why not just let a robot call balls and strikes? Right. And that's where they're talking about the robot probably would come in most because instant replay, I think, has gotten rid of some of the buffoonery calls that have caused games yeah. to go the wrong way. But the strike zone is something different, and there's still a handful well, of umpires you can't, you can't, I mean, awful. you know, nobody wants to see instant, like, Nobody wants to see a review process on balls and strikes. No, no, absolutely not. So what they're talking about, and it's already been long discussed, is putting a chip inside the baseball, and the plate would be some sort of giant sensor, like maybe you have at Kmart, and it basically can tell whether it nicked the plate or it didn't nick the plate. Or you could just have it like Fox Sports North does with their digital, you know, box. I, I think I'm against the umpires being replaced in that particular sense because I think... You still need some human element. That's always been baseball. And yeah. I, I think it would change the game too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and here's here's the other thing too. Baseball fundamentally is supposed to be entertaining, right? I, I know sometimes we don't think about sports like that as entertainers, but it's supposed to be entertaining. And I'm sorry, having baseballs be or having umpires be a part of the process is part of the entertainment. I like it when the when the players get feisty with an umpire from the dugout. The manager comes out and we're arguing balls and strikes. I like it. Baseball is supposed to be entertaining. I think if we take umpires out of balls and strikes, we're just going to drain uh, some of the soul from the game. Let's not do that. More to come straight ahead. Hey, Will Gardner, he's running for Secretary of State. We'll talk with him. Coming up next, so go away. Welcome back. Hour 2, Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Here to talk with you now, Will Gardner. He is a Republican candidate for Secretary of State, the Republican candidate for Secretary of State after he uh, defeated long-term incumbent Al Jagger at the NDGOP convention, Jagger opting not to proceed to the June primary. So at this point, Will, for the Republicans, you're it as far as the Secretary of State race goes. How's it going? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on. So uh, we just got, yeah, yeah, we just got the uh, pre-primary campaign fundraising reports. Uh, Josh Boucher posted his, you posted yours. And uh, yeah. he's got a big, he's got a big money advantage over you. Um, you, uh, your total was, if I remember, I, boy, I should have got the figures out right here in front of me, and now I can't find them. But uh, well, what was your thousand for me? But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was around ten thousand. I think he was, he was, I think he was around eighty thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, that, that's obviously a big advantage at this point. Um, well, I, I think a lot of people wondering, you know, you're campaigning as a Republican in a Republican state. Uh, do you think maybe you should have raised more money? Well, sure, Rob. You you probably can figure it out yourself. Most people know why I did not. I'm running. You know, I I ran against a 26 year incumbent, someone who's really beloved by many in the state and many in the party, quite frankly. And and even though that you know I was very successful in that, I spent a lot of my time in the last uh, last month really building the ground game up. I had a lot of support uh, at the convention, but really the ground game. Uh, building that up and, and building the network up has been really important to me and also reaching out to people in the party, you know, before you reach out and ask for money, you, you want to make sure that everyone is, is, um, is uh, feeling good about your campaign and, and people are, people are really, uh, really jumping on board. I've, um, the people who've, uh, you know, of course spoke in at the convention for, for Alan and, uh, and we're very supportive or, you know, excited about my campaign now. And, and, you know, we're, we're doing a good job going forward. And, you know, this is a marathon out of sprint, as they always say. I'm I'm dedicated to making sure we're doing this right. And, and uh, I've, I've actually raised uh, a lot of money in the last, this last couple of days. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I know it's something that uh, hits people's radar. But, you know, I'm running against someone who for four months or five months has been running a general election campaign, hasn't had to spend anything. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm just, I'm really up being excited, traveling a lot around the state, and people really appreciate the message I'm bringing of, of you yeah. know, the, the election integrity and really uh, honing in on the technology side. I'm, I'm just the best candidate uh, flat out yeah. who can bring technology to the office. One, one dynamic at the convention was obviously Boucher is a candidate who, uh, when he is, he's, he's run twice successfully in District 44 in Fargo, has raised a lot of money for those legislative races. I mean, even by legislative standards, he's raised, you know, six figures. 
for for those races, for legislative races. Um, and so I, I think what a lot of people were – I remember the dynamic at the convention was a lot of people saying, well, Boucher's a serious candidate. He can bring a lot of money to the game. He's a very good campaigner. Um, Jagger's a known name. Um, convention delegates chose to take a risk on you. So the fundraising numbers, obviously something you know that, that, that probably is, is maybe a lot of people looking at those numbers and worrying. Now, you said you've raised a lot in the last couple of days. Can you tell us how much you've raised? Uh, I've raised, I think, about ten thousand dollars in the last couple of days. Not, not all of it's in the bank. I have checks. I haven't really put those in yet. But uh, we've, we've just, just now been, been setting the, you know, the game going forward of how we're going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to give up my strategy and how I'm doing that. But I will, I will tell you that we are going to uh, really, really um, sprint ahead, and we'll be, we'll be up to, we'll be up to um, a large amount by the. I'd say in the next uh, month here or so, we're we're not gonna. That's not gonna be a worry for us. We we know that we win on the issues, yeah. and so people are excited about the message, and the people are excited to give. Um, I I've, I'm very confident about that. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. You join the program eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Now uh, we have um, recently Senator Heidi Heitkamp, and, and granted, you are not running for a position in the legislature. You have not served in the legislature, unlike your opponent uh, Josh Boucher. But we've had, you know, a lot of fighting going on over our voter ID laws. Your office, if you were elected, your office would be in charge of administering our state's elections. Um, voter ID is a, a big part of that. Now, recently, we heard Senator Heidi Heitkamp come out and say, and I think it's interesting that all of a sudden she's saying in an election year. Um, it's not like these laws are just passed this year. They've been on the books for a while now. This is the first time she's talking about it. All of a sudden, she's on a ballot. I think that's interesting. But she said that these laws were clearly targeting college students and Native Americans. Now, you've been you've been a defender of our voter ID laws. What do you make of those comments from the senator? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, it's it's a little ironic that my opponent that took you know he had the advantage of the affidavits on his side. And so I, I, I'm not going to speak to whether or not that was a factor, but, but look, from my perspective, we just can't, whether it's Democrats or Republicans around, we can't have 16,000 people in our state that are voting without any ID. We have no idea who they are, where they're coming from. And, and that's, whether you're Republican or Democrat, that's one place I think we can all agree on that we just cannot have that kind of gap. And that gap has continued to widen over and over every single election there just become more and more of the, of, of the affidavits and it has to stop we're the most look we're the most accessible uh, nation uh, state in the nation when it comes to voting there is no other state that is more accessible than us and so to to say we're disenfranchising voters that's, that's absolutely not true and uh, i'm 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 fully confident that people in north dakota just want to have some ele- election integrity and we need to have um Someone speaking out against it, and, and my opponent voted to to continue to use affidavits, and so to not be proactive and take a stance against uh, future fraud in our state with elections, uh, I, I, and that's not a position I want to be in, and so I, I feel that we're on the right side of the issue here, and now, uh, we just, you know. Well, now, now, one one argument that that your opponent has made because I just had him on the program earlier this week. Um, and, and one argument that he has consistently made about he's saying if, if we're so concerned about voter, you know, the integrity of the ballot in this box, then what are we doing with this DMV database? Because a lot of people don't know if, if in order to vote, 
you know, your your the 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 address that is on file for you with the DMV needs to be updated to to the place where you want to vote. Now you can actually do that through an online mm-hmm. process. You don't necessarily have to get a new ID card. It's not the the address that's on your card per se, but the address that they have in the books for you that you've updated. You can actually do right. that update through online, and there's nothing to verify that uh that's right so i I could i could go to the dmv if if i wanted to and fraudulently claim claim uh that i live in bismarck and then show up in bismarck and vote there uh, and cast my ballot in a in a legislative district or or a city or or what have you uh, that i have no business voting in Uh, what do you think of that situation well first of all we want to close the biggest gap in our elections and that is the affidavit problem and again have you know my opponent voting for that affidavit is is we got to close the biggest gap you have if your ship is sinking you got to close the biggest hole you can't worry about the little the pinholes on the side you've got to cover the big gaps and so that's the priority the first that is the first priority and to not look at the red herring of of other ways that that there could be potential fraud is that it's a lot harder for someone to want to have to change their address for one person to vote in, in one district than it is to open up the state to to an enormous amount of fraud from people that potentially could be coming across the border from Minnesota for the day and just voting in two elections or voting in the same in the same election in the same state but just going from precinct to precinct to precinct continuing to vote that is the, that is where the fraud happens not in everyday uh, citizens who who have a you know trouble um, changing their address that that's something we can that's kind of finer details but we have to first focus on the biggest issue and that's what I've done in my campaign. You know, another consistent, and you were you were critical of the status quo because when I had when I had your opponent on, Josh, State Representative Josh Boshe, uh, he a lot of his criticism was about the status quo. And what's interesting is that the person responsible for the status quo is not going to be on the ballot. Al Jagger's not running again. You you defeated him at the Andy GOP convention. You're somebody new. Um, and I, and I asked Josh about that. He didn't really have a good response for, you know, say, well, okay, well, you, you're very critical of, of Al Jagger, uh, but you're not running against Al Jagger. You're running against Will Gardner. What do you have to say about him? And, and really didn't have a lot to say about you. I thought it was actually kind of interesting, but you, uh, one thing he said is that well, right now the secretary yeah. of, yeah, the, the, uh, w- one thing he did say is that right now the secretary of state's office is trying to implement a, uh, a new business filing system and i i think this is something you were critical of too is, is listen we've been trying to do this for years it's ridiculous that businesses can't file online they're trying to implement it but josh said that you know nobody has run this idea past the north dakota chamber of commerce uh the north dakota Indi- uh, federation of independent businesses the nfib ndf by fib um and so you know his argument is well why are why are we pushing ahead with this business filing registration when nobody's really spent a lot of time reaching out to the business community. Do you have any insight on that? Well, it, you know, the business community needs to be involved. I'm, I'm been in, in discussions with them myself, and so that's I'm, I'm going to be including them as we move forward. I believe that when you build software, it's, it's, it's enormous. It can be very expensive, and so we need to make sure that you have all stakeholders in, in position and in place to test it. One of the things that we've learned over the many years of, of developing um, new programs and software with, within my company, as well as working with other companies, is testing early on with people instead of building a large uh, enterprise or a, a large aircraft carrier project, you, you start in smaller chunks, you get it out to the people more quickly, and then you, you continue to refine it. Um, but the Secretary of State has, you know, they 
they have not yet rolled out this um, application, but it's going to be rolled out very shortly. I'm, and I'm just going to continue on the good work they've done and refine it and make it more user-friendly and continue to like build on the, on the good work that, that the office has done. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. So what are you hearing out on the campaign trail? I mean, have you spent a lot of time traveling around? What are you, what are you hearing from people about this race? Yes, yeah, I, I really have. It's been exciting to, to just see people's uh, excitement for having a new face in the Secretary of State's office. And still at the same time, I hear all the time, Rob, a, a deep appreciation and um, passion for uh, well, just – just really appreciating the work that our current secretary has done, and uh, it's something it's something to aspire to, um, something I'm looking forward to. And uh, we've we've spoken from uh, everywhere, from being in Fargo to I was just last night down the reservation down in Standing Rock, and there were people saying, "Wow, we haven't had a Republican come here in a in a, in a while, and it's good to see you here." <laughs> so we're we're getting we're getting around, and um, and you know the the Native American the tribal um, country. Uh, really is open, I think, to um, to my campaign, which is great because uh, you know when Heidi Heitkamp is is trying to double team me and uh, trying to go after me with uh, with regards to disenfranchising voters, you know, uh, it, you know that it's just it's just some tactic to try to gin up you know whatever support she might have out there. And uh, when I can go down there and see them and talk to them face to face, it's amazing. Um, people in the state they are open and they're they're excited for. Uh, having some change, and, and they're looking forward to, to having it still be a Republican. Will, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. That's Will Gardner, Republican candidate for Secretary of State. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Eric, there's a wind farm that's applying for a permit to kill bald eagles in North Dakota. Yeah, that's not going to happen. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is seeking public comment. This is a press release I got earlier today. Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is seeking public comment on a draft environmental assessment for the Northern States Power Company doing business as XL Energy uh, for the Courtenay Wind Farm Project. Uh, The draft environmental assessment evaluates the impact of issuing an eagle take permit for the existing 100-turbine wind facility located approximately 15 miles north of Jamestown. Um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about that whole, like, wind farms are killing birds thing. Yeah, I, I didn't even know you could file for a permit to kill an eagle. Yeah. And I, I guess I would not be in favor of it. There's got to be something else that can be done, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing something here. The Eagle Take Permitting System, because it's illegal, the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act, there's a federal law, um... It's it's um, it basically allows you to take or you know basically kill or in any way molest or disturb an eagle without a permit. Um, the permitting system enables the Fish and Wildlife Service. That's what that's who sent out the press release. Enables the service to work collaboratively with industry to avoid and minimize eagle deaths, ensure eagle take is mitigated when applicable, and gather essential information about eagles that will help to maximize eagle conservation across the country. So anyway, that's the thing that's going on. Uh, we got an email, too. We were talking about Donald Trump earlier in the program. Uh, emailer says, uh, all of these are, I, I, what, basically what I had, uh, I had, I had read uh, President Trump getting a blowback from uh, the press 
uh, saying that, um, you know, essentially, um, President Trump said that illegal immigrants or immigrants were animals. Uh, and the press reporting uh, in their headlines that he had called illegal immigrants. He was actually responding to a question from uh, MS-13. Um, Ross emails that he goes, all these articles mention MS-13 in the text. You're reading headlines. New York Times, Fox, they all make sure that they add uh, that they don't know who exactly he was talking about. Um, yet these news, Yet these news have these types of headlines to grab attention. Maybe. I don't know when they may have added that text or not. I guess... You know, it depends. But, I mean, the problem is you put it in the headline, you're still misrepresenting the situation. Like, just because it's in the headline doesn't mean you're allowed to misrepresent. You know, so I don't I don't really know that that's a defense of what the press was doing in that situation. They're clearly trying to create a perception that President Trump was referring to all immigrants or all illegal immigrants as animals. And he wasn't. I think he was just talking about a gang. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. And this voter ID issue, we just got done interviewing uh, Secretary of State candidate, Republican Secretary of State candidate Will Gardner. Um, you know, I, I think he's right. I, I think, and I, I mentioned this in my Sunday column, but I think the reason why Democrats, because it wasn't really, I mean, obviously there's been debate over the voter ID laws, and we had a lawsuit, and that's been part of, of this, you know, the wrangling around that that lawsuit. And as, and as I understand it now, they, they may be in settlement talks on that lawsuit. So that's that, I think, is probably a step in the right direction. But generally speaking, I think it's interesting that Senator Heitkamp weighs in. And, I mean, with, with a really, I mean, a serious charge. I mean, she's saying that the legislature clearly targeted, those are her words, clearly targeted college students and Native Americans when they pass those laws. That's a serious charge because they're basically saying that the legislature is crafting policy to suppress the vote from certain people. And if, if she really felt that way, we've had this law on the books for a while now. now there's been a lot of re- legal wrangling over it recently, and, and the law was tweaked some uh, in the 2017 session because of that legal wrangling. But the law has been on the books for years. If she really felt that way, why is she just now talking about it in an election year? And I think our guest made a point that she's bringing it up to try to gin up votes among those constituencies, you know, to, to sort of, you know, define the Republicans as monsters who are coming to take your votes, therefore show up and vote against the monsters. You know, I, I, I think it's an unfortunate ploy for somebody who positions herself as this paragon of bipartisanship. Right, this middle-of-the-road moderate who's tired, you know, because that's the thing the senator tells us all the time. She's tired of the usual partisan bickering and the polarizing politics and everything else. Well, what is that? Saying that the Republican majorities in the legislature clearly targeted college students and Native Americans to deny them the vote? I mean, it's one thing they might say that, that that's that's the end result of the policy, but to say that, 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 that it was the intent? I mean, that crosses the line. And it seems all the more political when you don't bring it up until an election year. I mean, if you feel that way, a U.S. senator in North Dakota has got one heck of a bully pulpit. If you feel that way, weigh in, Senator. Tell us about it. I, I, I looked at her comments quoted by Patrick Springer recently. I think it was last week. And um, I don't know. I, I looked at it, and I immediately saw politics. More straight ahead. Hey, we're going to talk with Mike Fedorchek. He's the North Dakota uh, State Director for Americans for Prosperity. We're going to talk about the Trump tax cuts. Do they really add to the national debt? 
We'll have a discussion about it coming up next on the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDYY.com. My guest now is uh, Mike Fedorchek. He is the state director of Americans for Prosperity for the state of North Dakota. Mike, how's it going? Great, Rob. How are you doing? Pretty good. So uh, let's talk about the Trump tax cuts. And by the way, earlier in the program, this is an important topic, because earlier in the program we were talking about some Gallup polling uh, and some CNN polling, both of which show, um, you know, sort of sort of historic highs. I mean, going back to uh, high levels of people saying that, that, that they like the direction the country's going or they like the place where the country's at, uh, levels that are that are so high we haven't seen them since, like, the George W. Bush administration. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is attributable to the fact that the economy is kind of kind of running on all cylinders right now. Um, and, and a big part of that, I think, are the, the Trump tax cuts. Now, Mike, one consistent, particularly here in North Dakota, because obviously it's an election year and we have uh, Democrats who are on the ballot and the top Democrat in the state, Heidi Heitkamp, voted against the, uh, the, the tax reform. And their big argument against it, I, I think, is one that is calculated to appeal to fiscal conservatives, which is they are saying it's irresponsible to cut these taxes because it adds to the national debt. Um, and I, what's the rebuttal to that? Because I hear them make that argument a lot. What's, I mean, what, what do you say in response? As, as, and, and I know your organization supports the Trump tax cuts. What's, what's the rebuttal to that? Well, I always think it's comical that uh, when Democrats start talking about the deficit and that what a big problem it is. I mean, since when did this become uh, one of their top priorities? Yeah. You know, Obama took office. It was at $10 trillion. When he left office, it was at $20 trillion. Sure. And, 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 that's, the, and that's accurate. Where was the outrage? Yeah, yeah and that's, that's accurate to say where was the outrage then. But that's still not an excuse for adding to the national debt now, right? It isn't. But no, it's not. Of course not. But how do you know the way they calculate that national debt is debatable for sure. But who would you rather have? Who would you rather put the faith into? The private sector that knows that supply and demand create jobs. They're the best at it. Small businesses, large businesses running America the way it should be run, or the federal government who chooses picks picks winners and losers, and usually picks the loser. And so the the Federal government has never collected more money ever in the history of the country, and yet we still have a deficit problem. I mean, it just doesn't connect. So what you're saying now? Now those numbers, and I think I saw a headline about that that the the nation is collecting record levels of revenue right now. Record levels, and if you have a booming economy, obviously the tax revenue across the board goes up. So you know you can. You know, give an accountant uh, an agenda, and he could tell you any numbers he wants. I love the way numbers are played with. And sure, now they've somehow calculated it's going to be $1.5 trillion in debt spending. But they're using, you know, you, you can go down the rabbit hole on how they find their numbers. But it, it just doesn't ring sincere when they start talking about deficit. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. I understand why they're doing it, though, right? And, and particularly here in North Dakota, where, again, we've seen studies where North Dakotans are going to see, um, you know, more, more benefit or, or per capita, more benefit per capita than, than the citizens of any other state. As a matter of fact, um, we have my guest tomorrow, Kent Busick. He's an accountant. 
in the uh, Fargo area, he's actually been a guest on this program talking about the Trump tax cuts. And, you know, what, what he has said is that most of his uh, in, in the tax season we just came through um, and, and obviously planning since the tax cuts just started this year. But, you know, he's saying that, that most of his clients uh, have benefited from it. So is, is that really what they're trying to overcome is saying, yeah, you may have benefited for, you know, from it personally, but it's an irresponsible thing to do because we're just running up more debt for our kids to pay off and our grandkids. Well, and that's just it. When you've never brought up the debt before, and all of a sudden now it's an issue. And so you think, okay, how am I going to defend a really bad vote? And if you look at this politically, it was a, it was a no-brainer for Senator Heitkamp to vote for tax reform. It was a no-brainer. And you will, across the board, both Democrats and Republicans, will scratch their head and say, okay, you had a throwaway vote. The bill was going to be passed. Generally speaking, Senator Heitkamp is very savvy. And she knows, okay, I'm going to vote with uh, President Trump on this so I can say that I vote with him more than anybody. And why is that? Because she needs to sound bipartisan. She needs to sound conservative, especially being in North Dakota. So how do you explain a bad vote? How do you take a throwaway vote that she usually casts correctly on such a good bill, one that boosts the economy, puts money back in the pockets of the people that have earned it, creates jobs, companies are giving back bonuses. How do you explain a bad vote? You either tie it to the 1%, which is a favorite rhetoric of theirs, like this is only crumbs for you, this goes back to the 1%, or you make it sound like you are so concerned about the national debt all of a sudden that you just couldn't for the life of you pull the lever on that vote. And it's a, you know, it's, it's politics 101. It was a bad vote. I think she regrets doing it. So, Anybody who voted against it, they got their talking points, and the talking points were simply you're concerned about the debt, and you just can't, you just can't saddle our grandchildren with this debt, which, again, to me, is so disingenuous and phony in its yeah. nature that you, know, you can't raise the debt under the Obama administration by $10 trillion and not say a word. So let's, I mean, but, but let's, I mean, the debt's obviously still a problem. I mean, I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that. I mean, I, right. I don't, I like, I like the tax reform. Uh, I also would like to see us budget responsibly. So w- what do we do about the debt then? What do we do about this deficit spending? The leadership in, I mean, look what North Dakota does. This year we have a 10% across the board cut in the budget because the tax revenue will not meet the budget requirements. We have a balanced budget law. It is required. Why we have not done this nationally, and I understand that, you know, it's a it's a bigger and more cumbersome government, but it certainly could be run in the same way. You know, this this dovetails into if we can't balance the budget, then we should get rid of the people that can't balance the budget, and if we we should have term limits so people have to make tough decisions. You know, as I was as I was thinking about this interview, I thought, when's the last time and and this is a sincere question rob when is the last time you heard a democrat on any level complain about spending you know they they complain about a lot of a lot of other issues but i'm trying to sincerely think the last time i heard a a democrat especially on the national scene say we're spending too much money usually i think i think usually responsibility usually in the context of a military spending i think a lot of times or they're talking about spending that we've done on 
on uh, you know wars in Iraq. I yeah. mean, that's that's usually the context that I hear it in. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that that's unfair. I mean, the military should be held accountable for spending the same as anyone else. Um, and we can certainly have a debate about which of our sure. uh, our foreign adventures were were warranted and which were not. Um, but you know, generally, yeah. I mean, that is the context that they want to complain in. But but they usually don't talk about. You know, as a matter of fact, they any time we ever talk about, you know, for instance, the fiscal liabilities presented by Social Security. Um, I mean, Social Security in particular. I mean, we just got. I'm hearing a lot, a lot in the news right now about America's declining birth rates, right? Which, from one perspective, I don't, even, I don't think it's such a bad thing. I mean, there's a whole social thing we could talk about, it and that I'm, I'm sure your organization probably doesn't want to get into. But you know, generally speaking, I, I think, I think lower birth rates are fine because it probably means. People aren't having children that they didn't really intend to have, and I think if we can if we can get to that point where people only have children when they want to have children, well, that's a good thing for our country, and I think that probably explains a lot of the birth rate. That and the fact that we're not seeing so many illegal immigrants flow into the country under President Trump, I think those are two big factors, and, and those are not necessarily uh, not positive. But the problem is, is we built a lot of of federal policy on population growth notably social security if we don't have enough people who are in the labor force paying into social security so that it can in turn pay its pay its what it owes what it's obliged to pay to people who are collecting it we're in a lot of trouble and that's going to add further to our our debt problem so uh, you know but but if you if you talk about that their immediate reaction is you know you want to push old people off a cliff right i mean that's that's their immediate response to that sort of thing. Yes, you have to villainize, and that, and that was that was really my point. Was you never hear about those type of fiscal concerns? I mean, when you think about all the special interests that get that get uh, government help, and when you start thinking about all the benefits that are pandered and promised to, and you start using the rhetoric about you know cutting off Medicaid and Medicare, my question is, where is the sincerity in budgeting? You know, you talk about the and – and I'm a firm believer, and I, I think there was a couple couple professors back in 1966 talked about uh, – Cloward and Piven talked about if you want to run to a socialist state, what you should do is drive the country into debt so that the federal government – so it collapses. And then you have – then you, sit, you hit the reset button. And part of all this, you know, this debt talk and rhetoric is where is the sincere – concern for where the country is heading. I mean, is $21 trillion not enough? And when, when you start talking about or not talking about spending issues and you start talking about taxation issues, the big difference in this tax reform bill is this money is going back to the people that paid the taxes. This isn't going to military spending. This isn't going to um, Medicare, Medicaid. This is going back to people. It's a, it's a modest uh, cut for people that pay modest taxes. It, it, it's scaled towards the tax code. And I think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that are saying, okay, you know what? $2,000 a year to me is not crumbs. So, you know, they have some explaining yeah. to do and, and lumping it into national debt seems to be, the, seems to be their MO. Well, I mean, superficially, uh, you know, particularly in a in a part of the country that's that's pretty conservative, like North Dakota. So, uh, superficially, it's it's not a bad argument. I'm as concerned about the national debt as anybody else. I, I think the problem is it supposes that. Um, I I think if they were more willing to talk about the other side of the ledger, the spending side of the ledger, I might be more willing to believe them on on this side of the ledger. Mike, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. As always, call anytime.
It's Mike Fedorchek, State Director for Americans for Prosperity. I'm Rob Port, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll wrap the show up after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. Uh, Twitter user says, uh, Rob, it grinds my gears every time you talk about Hillary winning the popular vote. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. If it did, one would campaign for it because it does not. One does not. Liberals can't invent some imaginary election and say Hillary won it. Well, that's not what I'm saying. First of all, the national popular vote does exist. We count it. We tally it. Most of the times, the electoral college vote and the national popular vote produce the same outcome. Uh, it's a rare occasion. Uh, when it doesn't, 2016 was one of those occasions. Now, um, we have, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I, I think the first presidential election where, where we where the national popular vote was a factor was um, uh, 1824. Uh, John Quincy Adams, uh, John Quincy Adams actually ended up winning uh, because the House of Representatives voted him in because nobody got a majority of the Electoral College votes. Uh, so the House of Representatives had to choose who the president was, um, which which is a process you might recognize if you watch um, House of Cards, Eric. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, it's a storyline in every election about yeah. the popular vote. Yes, they also keep well, track some... of the electoral college, but it gets mentioned a million times on election right. night as well. And also the reason why it was a factor in 1824 is because it was the first time some states chose to assign their electors to the winner of the national popular of the winner of the popular vote in their states. So that was the that was why that was the first election where it was really a, a factor. Um but, you know, essentially, it, I mean, when I talk about the national popular vote in, in the context of Clinton v. Trump, I'm talking about it in that it's a reflection that more people, at least the people who turned up at the ballot box, more just raw people supported Hillary Clinton. Now, I support the Electoral College. I think I think we produce the right outcome. I like that the Electoral College um, sort of protects particularly low-population states like ours, to make sure that, that our views are, are elevated a little bit more and, and aren't just drowned out by the, the densely populated areas because I don't, I don't want to elect national leaders just on what New York and Chicago and, and Seattle and, and Los Angeles think. So that's, you know, that's why I support the Electoral College. But, but you cannot deny it's a political reality. Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote, and it's a tricky thing to win the Electoral College and not the national popular vote. So I'm telling you, if you're a Trump supporter, the feat that he pulled off in 2016 is probably not, it, it's going to be a tough thing to replicate. I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can replicate it. Uh, 701-293-9000, As a matter of fact, I'm just looking here. Um, there are only one, two, three, four, five presidential elections in history, Eric, where the winner of the election was not somebody who won the national popular vote. It is crazy to think about. Well, I'm guessing the Democratic candidate this time will bother to campaign a bit more in the Rust Belt and not just and pull is that off not Michigan a, and, and Wisconsin. It, which to me is a feature of the Electoral College, right? Yep. Force force the Democratic candidate to maybe come. Maybe, okay, now, now the Democratic candidate is probably going to come to Wisconsin. Maybe they'll even come to North Dakota. That's not such a bad thing. Well, Barack Obama was the first one to shake his head after the election. I think he talked about the fact he went to Wisconsin repeatedly. And yeah. also Iowa was another one that he couldn't Well, Obama believe. had what they called, they called it the 50-state strategy, right? Where they even, uh, they even, well, President Obama, President Obama came to North Dakota. But that was during the primary, though, I think. Anyway, that's it for me today. I got a guest host in tomorrow, Kent Busick. 
Sounds like he's got a pretty good lineup. He's got an author on. He's got uh, U.S. House candidate Kelly Armstrong. Stay tuned for that. Coming up next is Jay Thomas. You definitely want to stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. I'll be back Monday. We'll talk again.